Okay, I want you guys to open up with me to Matthew chapter 12. How many of you guys were here two weeks ago before I jacked my back up? We, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about rest, and we ended Matthew chapter 11, we were talking about this, this passage where Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And so this morning, we're going to kind of pick back up there, but we're going to get into the beginning of Matthew chapter 12. And so I want you to turn with me, Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be in verses probably one through five-ish this morning. I don't think I'll get through the last three. Um, would you pray with me as we get going this morning? Jesus, we thank you uh, so much for the opportunity to gather here this morning. God, I'm reminded this morning that um, all things are orchestrated by you, that you are in control, you are sovereign. We place this building and this whole opportunity in your hands, Jesus. We pray, uh, God, that you would move mountains if that is your will for us to be there. And you shut doors so clearly for us if it's not your will, Jesus. We really do give it to you, Lord. I give you this church and I, these people, and I pray, Jesus, that we would be a people that would hunger after you, a people that would be in your word, a people that would desire to see the city of Coeur d'Alene changed and transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, the last thing we want is just a building for a church to meet in on Sunday mornings. Lord, we want to see a place where lives are being transformed and the building is constantly being used, and it's a blessing in serving uh, the community around it, Jesus. And so, anyway, Lord, as we dig into your word this morning, would you use it? Would you help us, God, as we are a people that struggle in the area of rest? And I know there's some that come here this morning that are just tired, God. They're worn out. They're just fatigued. And I'm praying this morning, God, that you'd use your word um, to really bring us to a place in our hearts where we understand and are ready to jump in and to rest in you, Jesus, and to stop running the rat race that we find ourselves in every single day. So we give you this time, Jesus. We pray that you'd anoint it and use it for your purposes. In Jesus' name, amen. So in order to touch on this text properly, Matthew 12, I want you guys to remember something that we saw in chapter 11, because um, where Matthew places this story in his gospel account is actually really significant. Matthew, both Mark and Luke tell the same story, but they place it in a different place in the narrative. And, and so Matthew places it where he places it in the life of Christ for a very specific reason. And so as we've talked through the gospel of Matthew, we've talked about the fact that Matthew communicates us, to us in a very specific way for a very specific purpose. If you remember two weeks ago, as we ended Matthew chapter 11, we read this passage where Jesus says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Can you guys take a deep breath this morning? Well, that feel good? It's been a while since you've done that, right? This is really important for us because in, and next in, Matthew, in Matthew's writing, we come to the story that's taking place on this day called the Sabbath, this day of rest, the day that God literally set aside for rest. And so the way Matthew puts these sections together, it's really important for us to keep this in mind. So at the end of Matthew 11, Jesus has this invitation for us to rest in him. And it's the perfect passage, that passage, for your morning coffee, isn't it? Your nice steaming hot cup of coffee and your Bible's open. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30 is highlighted. You're going to Instagram that thing all day and tell all your followers, 
today is easy. You're going to rest in Jesus, right? That's just what you do. It's the perfect passage that you want everybody else to read. But we love this invitation from Jesus to rest in him. We love the invitation that Jesus is giving us. And it's an amazing way to wake up in the morning, to read it, and go throughout your busy day reminding yourself of this passage. And that's normally how we look at it. But, but there's a problem. And as I thought about this this past week, I realized that, that there's a problem with the rest that Jesus offers us here. The, the, the problem is that it's not the kind of rest that you and I are used to. It's not the kind of rest that we normally want because what we want is rest that kind of exists on the fringes of our lives because what we normally want is the rest that, again, it's on the edges, rest that serves us and all the other plans that we have for our life. We want rest on the weekends. We want rest in the evenings, rest on our holidays. We want rest even in retirement. But the rest that Jesus offers us is something totally different. It's not vacation. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. What he means by rest here is not a rest around the fringes or the edges of your life. He means a radical reorientation of who you are. It's this foundational kind of rest that Jesus is speaking of. And in order to enter into this kind of rest that Jesus speaks of at the end of Matthew 11, it means you have to be a transformed person. There's something different about you. Jesus has changed you. You're redefined as a person. It means becoming a person who's actually defined by the rest that Jesus is offering you. And this is where in our culture we normally start to push back because that's a whole different thing. It's a whole different idea as we talk about this rest. And I know for me personally, I don't really want to be defined by rest. Anybody here want to be defined in your life? That's the most restful man I've ever seen. Like, nobody wants to be defined by rest. We want to be defined by work. The more we do, the bigger things are, the more we accomplish. Like, that's what we want to be defined by. I would much rather you know, know me for somebody who accomplished a lot than for somebody who, dude, he was the best rester that I've ever seen in my life. Like, I look up to that dude. But if we're honest with ourselves, don't we all actually kind of want that? Wouldn't you rather be defined or known for your accomplishments? Like, wouldn't you rather be known for your productivity, for your effectiveness, rather than somebody else's work? Like, we want to be known by what we do, what we accomplish. It's what we want. It's, what, it's why we're so focused in this culture on things like leaving a legacy, because we know our bodies aren't going to be around forever. And so we want the work that we do to last longer than our bodies will last. I want to be known for generations to come. We, we want the, the work that we do to last longer than our bodies. We want to be known for the great kids that we raised. We want to be known for the amount of money that we've made. We want to be known for the good that we've done in society. It's why we fight for power. It's why we fight for influence. It's why we're such massive control, control freaks. Can I get an amen? Any other control freaks in the house this morning? There's two of us. Thanks, Liz. Um, the rest of you are just amazing, so I'm really glad you don't struggle with that. But this is also why we tend to unknowingly in our lives battle against the kind of rest that Jesus actually wants for you. 
we're never alone in our brokenness. This is the amazing part, that we're never alone in those moments where our flesh is fighting so hard to neglect the rest that Jesus is offering us. And this is part of our brokenness. It's part of the human problem. It's this issue that Jesus addresses in this passage that we're reading this morning. And so after Matthew records Jesus's call to find total rest in him in chapter 11, he says, remember, he says, come to me, all who labor, heavy laden, I will give you rest. And then we get to Matthew 12. And I want you to take a look at Matthew 12 verses 1 and 2 with me. It says this. Are you guys with me? Are we good this morning? All right. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. But when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. All right. So Jesus and his disciples are back on the road, and they start to get hungry. They come across this field of grain, the disciples being hungry, and so what do they do? They begin to pluck the grain in these fields, and they begin to eat it. Actually, what's really crazy about this is they begin to eat what might be arguably one of the most damaging forces in Western society. Gluten, right? (laughs) Jesus is telling them to eat gluten, Like, the real danger in following Jesus is eating gluten, just so you all know that. But as they're eating this grain, some of these Pharisees show up, and they're livid. They're angry. They're angry because it's the Sabbath, and the disciples are walking through this field, picking heads of grain. They're rolling them in their hands to eat them, and the work that they're doing is in total violation of the rest that God had commanded them by Jewish law. They're doing work. Now, Just notice how ironic this is for a second. So God sets this this Sabbath aside as this day of rest in our week. And so his people could actively remember his goodness. People could actively remember his provision, his love, his sovereignty over everything. And so what could possibly be more restful or more worshipful and could serve the purpose of the Sabbath more than walking through a a grain field leisurely enjoying what God had provided. I mean, how ironic is it? that This is what they're going to make a big deal out of. God's the one who provided the grain. They're actually sharing in and providing for themselves through what God had provided for them. Like, it just seems kind of ridiculous. These guys weren't harvesting crops. These guys weren't stockpiling crops so they could sell them. They were literally picking some grains and beginning to eat them. But the Pharisees, They didn't see it like this. To them, the rest of God was this duty that they had to perform. Like they had to do it in a certain way. It was this box that they had to check. And it was this box that had to be checked more than it was this gift that God had given to us to be enjoyed, which is a serious error because the Sabbath was never supposed to be our master, right? The, the Sabbath was to be this tool that actually served a greater purpose. It's why Jesus says in Mark 2, 27, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The, the Sabbath was given to us as a gift. We weren't to obey the Sabbath as a master. And this is why Jesus responds to the Pharisees the way that he did. Look at verse 3. He says to them, have you not read? Stop for a second. Anytime you see Jesus address the the religious leaders, the Pharisees, like this, when he says, have you not read, I want you to underline it. 
Because what we have here is Jesus sarcastically mocking the Pharisees. Have you not read? You know, like, you idiots. You know, are you dumb? Um, That's the way the message puts it. I think it says, like, message translation, are you stupid? No. Uh, But these Pharisees have spent their lives, they're experts in the law, they've spent their lives studying God's word. They could recall the Old Testament from their memory. So this would sort of be like getting into an argument with Elon Musk about electric cars. Like if you had the opportunity to get into an argument with Elon Musk about electric cars and you sarcastically asked him just because you didn't know what else to say into the debate, you said something to him like, you know, have you ever actually studied electric cars? Like, are you stupid? (laughs) And these experts in the law have been confronted by the fulfillment of the law himself. Jesus Christ, like the Son of God, is confronting them. And so Jesus wants them to see their mistake. And so this is what Jesus says. Have you not read, you idiots, right? Have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which it was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the, or, sorry, not, not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests? Or have you not read in the law how on the Sabbath the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Okay, so Jesus gives these two examples to undermine the, the Pharisee's objection. The first example he points to is David. Like, they're idle. If you read the story in 1 Samuel 21, it's this amazing story. David's been anointed king already, uh, and now he's on the run from King Saul who wants to kill him. David has a few men on, with him on the run. They get hungry while they're on the road, which makes sense because they're running and running and running. They're hungry. They, they get to this tabernacle. They find a tabernacle. They're looking for food, but the problem is, is that it's on the Sabbath, and the only food that's in the tabernacle on the Sabbath are these 12 loaves of bread, the holy bread, the bread of the presence, as Jesus calls it, the show bread, as it's called. And these are 12 loaves of bread that are put out every Sabbath, Friday night to Saturday night, And they're only to be eaten by priests. And so these 12 loaves get put out on this table in the tabernacle. And the priest there at this time was this guy by the name of Ahimelech. And he decides to actually go against the law after he sees how hungry David is and his guys are. And he breaks the law in order to serve a higher law, in order to be merciful. There's people that are hungry, like I'm going to allow them to eat the food. And so he gives David and his men this holy bread to eat. And so Ahimelech, this priest, literally breaks the law, which Jesus holds up as this example to the Pharisees. If you go read the story, there's so many layers of complexity to the story because David actually lies to get the bread. And the Bible's just a trip sometimes. Like, you just got to go read that and then kind of notice how funny it is when Jesus comments back to these stories that are like, oh my gosh. Like, I get what you're getting at, but in order to get there, there's some crazy hoops that had to be jumped and some crazy stuff that was done. So go back and read that. But the second example that Jesus gives is when he points at the priests in the temple, specifically the fact that every single Sabbath, who's working? The priests are working on the Sabbath. Yet God commands rest, but the priests work. And so Jesus says, they profane the Sabbath, and yet they are guiltless. And so the point of all this is that the Sabbath was always supposed to be 
a representation of God's heart, a, a representation of his desire for us to enter into his rest. But viewing the Sabbath as a duty that we have to perform creates this crazy barrier to the very rest that the Lord intended for us to live into. It's this unnecessary barrier that, that it puts up. And why does this matter for you and me? Because we have to understand that the Pharisees were actually good guys. In ancient Israel, they, they get a bad rap. We talk about them in a negative light because Jesus is constantly rebuking them. He's constantly calling them out because of their adherence to the law over anything else, right? They do not have mercy. Like, they're constantly upholding the law. And Jesus is constantly rebuking them. But the reality is, is that they were actually really good guys. They were the ones that were concerned that the whole nation of Israel was becoming too much like the other nations. And so what they're trying to do is like get a controlled grip on what's going on and begin to pull the nation of Israel back to God's law. Like you guys just need to do the right thing. You're breaking the law. You need to go back to what God told us to do. And the, the primary assumption that they made, which was messing everything up for them, was that they could actually work their way to God's grace. That, that's the assumption they're making, that they can actually do things that would earn them the grace of God. And, and the Sabbath is this really good example of that. So God calls his people to rest. He says, take a day of rest, enjoy me, enjoy who I am, enjoy my goodness, cease from work. So what are the religious leaders to do? So what they do after God institutes the Sabbath is they start figuring out, well, if he's asking us to cease from work, we actually have to define what work is. And so let's get down to the jot and tittle and figure out what work is and let's define it ourselves. Like how do we know that we've stopped working if we haven't defined what work is? And so they dig in and they try to work down to every last action. So here's in some examples of how they derived what work was from God's simple ask to rest and to cease from work on the Sabbath. If you carried food in an equal weight to a dry fig, you were working. If you had enough wine for one glass or enough milk for a mouthful, you're working. If you had enough honey to put on a wound, you're working. If you had enough ink to write two letters of the alphabet, then you're working. And in their minds, then you are guilty, and then you broke the Sabbath, and you deserve to be judged. Sounds like a super restful day, doesn't it? Oh my gosh, uh, I don't want to use all that ink, you know, I got to make sure it doesn't break two letters, you know, like, it just doesn't sound restful when there's all these parameters put on us. And so, what I want us to see is that this desire to be defined by work meant that even God's command to rest was now turned into this burden for people to carry. And I know that the same's true for some of you in this room this morning, because some of us wrestle with the same thing. Now, our issue isn't necessarily the Sabbath per se, but many of us have read the New Testament. We understand that we're not to pass judgment, that we're not to condemn ourselves because of our lack of adherence to the holy days or the holy feasts, the Jewish feasts. But how many of us still view following Jesus as a list of rules that we have to perform? I mean, how many of us are here this morning, you woke up earlier, uh, not necessarily the 11 o'clock, uh, some grace on you guys this morning, but you woke up, you came to church, 
And how many of you were motivated by the fact that we just need to check this box so we can get on with our day? We got to check this box off. We're being a good example for our kids. We check this box off because it's the right thing to do. And then on the flip side of this, how many of us, our motivation to sleep a little less and get here was because we just want to enjoy God's grace? because we wanna grow in Christ, because we wanna sit under God's word, we wanna worship with our brothers and sisters, we wanna remember the crucifixion and the resurrection as we take communion at the Lord's table after this. Like these are two very different motivations. And how many of us are convinced that God actually spends most of his time disappointed with you? And by doing these little things, we're actually just trying to, trying to kind of counteract that a little bit. Like, I want to offset my bad stuff with a couple right things. And, and in doing so, we're trying to earn something before God. And I know there's a lot of us that believe this because I sit and talk with so many people who reiterate some of these things to me. There's a lot of us who just believe that if we did certain things better or if we did other things less, that, that, that we would actually grow closer to God than we are now. And at the heart of all of this is this human desire to work for our salvation, to be defined by our work instead of being defined by Jesus' rest. Some of us might not think that we're working for our salvation because we don't look like the Pharisees. But I don't want us to kid ourselves this morning. We're being driven by the same impulses that drove the Pharisees. It's just that we don't always work for salvation in law-keeping, in Jewish tradition. We often work for it through Amazon and through our careers and in car dealerships. We, we work for our salvation with realtors and investment advisors. We work for our salvation when we give everything for the sake of that promotion or that potential relationship that we want. We work for salvation even when we're standing in the checkout line at the grocery store They've made it so easy for us to buy a $1, $3, $5, $10 lottery ticket, right? Uh, okay, why not? You just never know. I'll buy one. And there's this little bit of hope that builds in us because that's a taste of hope, some kind of hope. Something builds in us. It's a desire ultimately for salvation, and we, we pervert it. It's, it's a craving in you for the hope that is only found in Jesus, the rest only found in him that gets perverted when you look at it, when you look for it in all the outskirts of your life. You try to find it in everything else. And I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but I'm saying the minute you start trying to clamor and find those things in order to try to attain rest, because if you just get one more thing, if I just got this career, if I just had this much money, if I just got this rental property, that rental property, if I just had this in place or this in place, or I had this spouse or this girlfriend or this many kids, like whatever it is, we reach and reach and reach and reach. And our hope is that by the time we get to the end of it, if we've got it, we can go, ah. <sighs> I got it. How many of you have lived enough life to know that that's not true? <laughs> Most of us. In my prior life, 10 plus years ago, um, I don't believe in reincarnation. I'm just saying prior life, you know. 10 plus years ago, prior to pastoring a church, I traveled around the world with skateboarders. We told people about Jesus. And that life 15 years of it afforded me opportunities to travel with big name bands, to meet a bunch of 
uh, people behind the scenes, like to see their lives, to meet people that many people idolized. It afforded me the opportunity to meet professional skateboarders and snowboarders that were icons to me when I was growing up. Kid, like a teenager, and then in my 20s, I get to meet these people face to face, and I'm thinking like, oh, this is so amazing. I've waited my life to meet these people. It's people that made millions in their careers that would tell, that would tell you that all their hopes and their dreams came to fruition, like they became realities. Some of them I spent time with had since turned their lives to Jesus, and some of them were very anti-Jesus. We met people on both sides of the fence, and yet what you realize was that the stories were all the same. It's people that rose to the top, people that acquired everything that they had ever dreamed of, and they were still left wanting. They were tired. They were sick of touring. Their families, marriages were on the rocks. Relationships struggled, and others, they had paid this price for entry into the world that they had dreamed their whole life of having. And yet so many of them, like some of you were in this room, were with me in some of these occasions, and you meet these people and you're like, that person looks haggard. They look absolutely exhausted. And the only resting they did was after they'd ran so hard they hit a wall and they were forced to rest. Or they ended up in a hospital or in prison or in a rehab. They'd become these shells of people. And here I was, this guy in his 20s that looked up to them. Like throughout my formative years of my life, I looked up to these people and it felt so awkward and it felt so uncomfortable at times because the glam was removed and I was able to see them for who they really were. People owned like by a false sense of hope that was offered to them by this candy coating on it that looked really good to everybody else and was really stinky to themselves. They were empty. They were tired. And I remember in my 20s, like being in shock, like I would leave some of these interactions feeling so bummed. Like my heart just being broken, so sad for the lives that these people had lived. And then I would also leave feeling angry that what was being presented to everybody else, all these other kids to see, seemed so glorious and actually made others want their life. And yet you meet them in person and you're like, you are a shell. You're exhausted and you're tired. You do not know what it is to rest. You've ran into a wall in your life and you've just spent your life, you've literally paid the price for a life of getting everything that you ever wanted. And all I wanted to do was like give these people the gospel because they were more empty after chasing everything they ever, everything they ever wanted. They were more empty and more worn out at the end of it. And here's the irony. This is where I flip the coin and I start to point the finger at myself. Is that every now and then I get these glimpses of this in my own life. Ironically, last week I was supposed to give this sermon um, on Sabbath. And after this crazy full week of ministry stuff, family stuff, stuff going on every single night, even like fun stuff with my family, but it was just like we went hard all week. Saturday I'm out playing football with some dads and sons. I dived in or up the pass. My knees hit the ground. The shock goes up through my body. I fall to the grass, grass in like excruciating pain. I couldn't stand. I basically get carried out to my truck. I get home. I get into bed. I'm TKO'd. I can't move. And what am I doing? I'm just praying that the Lord would grant me the ability to be at church the next day so I could talk about Sabbath and rest. 
please, Lord, make me feel better tomorrow because like, I want to be there to tell them about rest. And the reality is that I was hurt so bad I couldn't even leave my bed for two days. And I'm laying in bed last Sunday and it hits me that God graced me with the Sabbath that I needed in a really unlikely way. I was in a ton of pain, but yet recognized very quickly that I needed rest. I needed time to stop running at a pace that nobody was asked to run at. I needed to acknowledge that more than my body needing rest, my soul needed rest. Because in some weird, divine, miraculous way, our soul rest is tied to our body rest. And we go so hard, anthem. We're literally chasing so hard. Some of us are trying to find salvation by starving ourselves. We're trying to find it in our bodies. We're clawing, we're fighting. We're trying to find it in other people's perceptions of us. And this constant expending of energy is what Jesus is trying to call us away from, to pull us out of. It's what he is inviting us into rest to get out of, not just on the weekends, but as this foundation of your life. And so we need help. I need help. Too many of us have come to Jesus and yet we've still functionally looked for life. We look for life and hope outside of Jesus. We actually need his help. So with the rest of our time today, um, I, wanted, I wanted to talk about three other things, three points that I was going to make in the next three passages that Jesus gives for why being defined by his, why we're defined by his rest instead of being defined by our work. Um, but we're not going to have a ton of time. And so this is what I'm asking you guys to do. We're going to pick up part B of this next week. We're going to continue on in Matthew 12, 6. And we're going to finish these last three sections and then uh, the rest of the section after it. But I want you to write these three things down. And I want you to spend this week reading Matthew chapter 12. I, I'm earnestly asking you guys, pick up your Bibles. Read through Matthew 11 and 12 this week. If you can go before Jesus and say, Jesus, what does this rest look like for my life? And the three things that we see in, the, in, in um, these last three verses of the section that I want to talk about was first, what God did. Second, what God wants. And third, who God is. It's like the best part of this whole thing, and I know I have to stop. But I want to challenge you guys this week to go to Jesus because there's many of you that you know you need rest. You're hitting walls. You feel it. You're clamoring for everything around the rest that Jesus has offered you, hoping that it's going to give you something immediately that only Jesus can give you that probably is going to take a little more time, a little more patience, and a little more um, devotion time with him. And So I want you to read through Matthew 11, 12. I want you to come back next week as we talk about what God did, what God wants, and who God is. And I want to hear the stories of how Jesus is challenging you to rest in your life. I'm going to invite Henry to come up here, and we're going to um, spend some time taking communion. And just to kind of preface this, Henry's going to share a little bit with us about communion. Um, we're going to have some people come out and form some lines and have uh, the bread and the juice for you to partake of. And so as soon as Henry gets done um, sharing, 
you guys are more than welcome to come forward. Uh, if you've done communion here in COVID land, you know that it's like two cups. You have to pull one cup out, and there's a cracker in the bottom, and then the juice is on top, so you didn't get ripped off if you just got juice, and you think, ah, oh, man, they, they, they ripped me off. But it's there. But I want you to take this time, because you have an opportunity right now to engage Jesus. And as we take communion, what a cool thing that what we're remembering is what he did for us so that you can stop reaching and trying and hoping to earn something in your life and make something of yourself that Jesus never asked you to do. And so I'll ask Henry to come. Let me pray and then uh, we'll get into communion. Jesus, I thank you for your rest. I thank you, uh, God, just for the, the lessons we get on a daily basis where we see that we've pushed it too hard. We see that we've reached for things that you never intended for us to reach for. We look for the quick fix here and the quick fix there, and yet you're constantly offering your rest to us. And I pray this week, God, as we open up Matthew 11 and Matthew 12, that you would really speak through your word to your people, Jesus. That's what your word is for. And so I pray as people just take a moment this week to read your word and to ask you what it looks like to apply your rest to their life. I'm praying that you'd meet people in a very sincere, um, just very intimate way this next week as they spend time with you, Jesus. Would you bless them this week and be with them, God? Would they see your rest? God, would your face shine upon them and would your peace be upon them, Jesus, in your name? Amen.